Let's open up in prayer over the scripture. If you want to be flipping to Romans chapter 12, we're going to start off in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. We covered part A of that last week, and we're going to just quickly review that and then head on into the rest of chapter 12, hopefully finishing chapter 12 up tonight. Uh, let's pray. Lord, again, thank you that we could gather together as a body of believers uh, openly um, and that we could spend time uh, in study in the classes leading up to uh, this uh, preaching and worship time that we're, that we're now in. Uh, I just want to thank you for that. Thank you for who you are. Uh, thank you for the freedom that we have here as, as we enjoy this freedom that we can worship openly, Lord, as we enjoy all the blessings that you have uh, poured out on us here. Um, I just, I, I pray that, that we're not blinded by, by the blessings that we have and forget that there is a, a, a Christian brothers and sisters uh, who are our brothers and sisters around the world who are, uh, who are gathered together even now, um, praising and worshiping you, and, and they may not enjoy the comforts that we enjoy. Uh, and they may be uh, right now hiding out um, in homes or in basements or wherever it may be um, because they may be in an area that's hostile to the gospel. Um, I want to say thank you for them there that, that you've called them to yourselves um, or to yourself. And, and, and I, wanna, I want, as we gather and study your word, that we realize that this is a global endeavor, that this is something that's taking place. Uh, among all peoples, even those who may not think, act, look like us, Lord, that we are being called together uh, by your Holy Spirit to worship uh, your Son, um, so that when we gather together, when we take part in the studying of your Word, um, that, that we uh, have our eyes lifted, that there's something big uh, going on in this. And I just pray that you would use us as part of your global mission to redeem your people from among all the nations. Um, help us to grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding of your word. Use me in uh, whatever means you see fit, uh, Lord, in the teaching of this. I pray that I would speak nothing of myself, um, that I would speak no false thing, but that the truth of your word uh, would, would pour forth from the pages of, of your book uh, into the hearts of your people and be, uh, be used by your Holy Spirit in, in changing our lives. Uh, Lord, what a beautiful thing it is that we get to take part in this, that we get to know you. Lord, I pray that I can uh, do some small part to help them know you, know you more, so they can, in that, go and be useful for you in ways that we can't even yet imagine. It's in Christ's name, for his glory. Amen. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. We're going to be starting in verse 9, working our way uh, down through verse 21. Tonight, um, we're, so, some of these passages we're going to hit quickly, and then there's going to be some things that we're going to spend a little bit more time on. What we're going to find here is that there is a ton of truth that's packed down into these few short verses. Um, some of them are going to be no-brainers. Some of them we're going to look at and be like, that's a no-brainer, and we're going to look at it a little bit more and dig into why you would even have to tell us these truths because they seem so uh, clear. And we're going to kind of dig down uh, in and see why it is that Paul uh, brings these things uh, these things up. So uh, just so that we're reminded, last week we, we looked at love and 
Um, I appreciate y'all very much because apparently we recovered what Kip covered Sunday morning. I appreciate y'all not being like, hold on, we've done this before because it would have changed the way that I approached that sermon. Um, so I thank y'all for being patient with me in that. Um, in that, I also want to say, uh, maybe God wants to tell us something in, in our affections and our love for one another. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, kind of the first part of that, Paul says, let love be genuine, right? And the reason I wanted to spend time on that last week is, is the idea in that, in that, that short little phrase, let love be genuine, that, the idea that's kind of foundational, uh, for all that we're gonna look at, uh, through the rest of this chapter here, um, so each of the things that we're gonna that we're gonna look at tonight, I, I want you to to kind of have in the back of your mind that uh, this idea of genuine love supports and 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 kind of gives the foundation uh, for the things that we're gonna look at uh, a long way. So uh, that you might find that to be interesting, being as the next piece here says abhor evil or uh, have. Let evil be something that disgusts you. This this word abhor to abhor evil is that something should disgust you. Um, and the idea of love is often, especially in our generation, not tied tightly with the idea of disgust. Right? Like you don't go to Walmart. You're not going to the uh, to the to the aisle, the candy aisle, and looking for things that disgust you on Valentine's Day. Right? You're looking for things that 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 you crave. Right? And one of the things that we talked about last week, and I've got my phone out because I'm going to read something to you that I've kind of written down. That's the idea. So if you're wondering why is he waving his phone around, um, don't be confused about. I'm not expecting a call or anything. <laughs> Uh, but I wanted us to get last week that, that the culture shouldn't shape our idea of love, right? That we should have a concept of love, a genuine love for one another, for the world, that is such that it changes the world's perspective on what love is, right? So that's why I wanted to kind of take a, a moment last week and, and, and just focus on Love, and it wasn't planned that it would land so close to Valentine's Day or anything like that. I mean, this study's been going on forever. It just so, it just so happens, and I, and I think, you know, while God's timing and even long-winded sermons are, are pretty cool in the way that He lands things like that. So, um, tonight, I want to read to you, as we're going to be kind of going through this, I want to read to you just a thought that I jotted down in my preparations for this that kind of play out to the way that I'm looking and reading all the things that we're going to see. Because we're going to hit a bunch of different ideas that, that might seem to be separate or might seem just to be kind of placed together. But there's one um, overarching idea, I think, that we find as we dig through this text. So um, I want to kind of read it, and I might read it a couple of times. It's fairly short, so I might read it a couple of times so that you can be thinking on it as we're kind of digging through this text. So as I read the text that we're going to cover tonight, the big point, the big idea of what I draw from this is this. All undergirded, all supported fundamentally by genuine love, right? So we're coming out of that idea of of love with the genuine love. And when we love and when we live like this, uh, this is kind of the thought that, that flows from the next portion of the text. We can live selfless, and sacrificial lives that leave us open to being taken advantage of and having our kindness abused only when we see that at the cross, God is both just and the one who justifies. God is both loving 
and the one who pours out wrath righteously, right? So this idea of God being both just and the justifier, God being both loving and wrathful, right? We see this truth so clearly at the cross. Who is the cross appeasing, right? Why does the cross happen? And all of these things are are ideas that we've discussed in depth at length over the last several weeks as we've been kind of inching through the gospel. But I want us just to be reminded quickly that at the cross, the love of God and the justice of God, the wrath of God, is clearly seen. We see that God is loving because He would give Himself for us. And we see that God has an, uh, an absolute hatred for sin because He pours His wrath out, the full measure of His wrath out on Christ on the cross. Right? The love of God could not just simply say, I'm going to ignore all sin. What the love of God did is said, I'm going to make a way to accomplish both me being just, not being, not being able to accept sin and just look the other way as well as me being the one who will justify you, you, the one who will make a way for you. So this idea of God being both just and the justifier is one that we should as believers have constantly on our minds. This idea of God being both loving and a God who is going to pour out His wrath upon sin, who has on the cross, and who will for an eternity in hell on those who do not accept what's been offered by Christ at the cross. Do you, do you understand that? I, I hope that we understand that, that hell is hell because God is wrathful against sin. Right? That hell is God's outpouring of His wrath upon the sinner because God is just. So as we live our lives, see, this, is, this should be for us as believers, this should be an absolutely sobering thought. This should be something that as we live knowing that, there will be nothing, and this is why I say that we can live selflessly, Right? And we're going to see as we kind of look through some of the text tonight. Sometimes as we live our lives selfishly or selflessly, do we not feel like we maybe open ourselves up to being maybe taken advantage of a little bit? Right? How, how many of you as believers have, have ever felt like maybe your kindness was trampled on a little bit? Right? You, you put yourself out there. And and you got taken you got taken for a ride, right? And and how many times in the midst of that have we wanted to take vengeance into our own hands, right? Can we can we be honest in that? Can we can we say that when we put ourselves out there, when we offer ourselves out in whatever way it is, whether it be in gifts here in the church, whether it be out in the world, and we're just trying to let the gospel be seen in us, and we put ourselves out there, we make ourselves a little vulnerable, and then we get taken advantage of, how often do we quickly want to take it into our own hands? Is this not true of us? Right? And here's what I want here's what I want us to get. Like here's what I want us to grasp is that when we understand the gospel, 
when, and, and this is why it comes here, right? That we're supposed to have this genuine love, and we're going to see this idea of vengeance kind of at the end, vengeance is God's, is that what we understand is that we are, in giving ourselves like this, and in giving our lives sacrificially to one another, and, and making ourselves a, maybe a little bit vulnerable, maybe the world might look at us and say, you're awfully naive to put yourself out there like that. Because when you put yourself out there like that, when you give in that kind of way, when you try to be hospitable in that particular kind of way, don't you know the kind of people that you were dealing with? Don't you know that they're going to take advantage of you in whatever way they can? Right? Y'all have heard that kind of thing. You may have even thought that kind of way. And here's what I want to, here's what I want us to get as we start digging into this, as we start considering what it means to give ourselves, right, to God, to give ourselves fully, openly, not slothfully, but zealfully in service to God and service to one another. I want us to consider these things. And I, and, and I want us to be very, 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 very sure that whatever way you're taken advantage of in, in whatever way you put yourself out there and you feel yourself to have been done wrong, that you're a reflection of your Savior in this. Right? You're a reflection of Him in this. And where you might be tempted to take vengeance into your own hands, save it. Right? God was very patient with you. He was very patient with me. And the result of it was what? My salvation. Your salvation. So let us be reminded of God's patience when we want to take vengeance. And let us be comforted that there is no wrong that will go unaccounted for. Let us live selflessly so that they might find the hope that we found when our Savior gave Himself selflessly for us. Knowing that if they don't, coals of wrath will have been stored up above their heads by their own stubborn hearts. So that leads us now into this into this. Uh, text tonight. Let love be genuine. And we can't talk about a genuine love without talking about a hatred for evil. Right? We cannot be a people who love genuinely and then tippy-toe around what is truly evil as though it were not. We must be a people who hate evil. We must be a people who evil disgusts us. We must take a stand for what is good. We must hold fast. Hold fast to what is good, the text tells us. Abhor what is evil. Hate disgust. Let it disgust you. It, not only what is evil and you see outside of you, 
Right? Not only what you look out there and you say, I see evil there and it disgusts me. But when you spend time in God's Word and God's Word reveals evil that remains in you, do you know what it should do to you? You should be disgusted by it. Does your own evil disgust you? Or or have you found yourself in love with the evil that you've gotten away with? If you love genuinely, do you know who you love first and foremost genuinely? God. Because He loved you first and foremost genuinely. And you love others from that. Do you hate your own evil? Do you hate the evil around you? Genuine love does not tolerate evil. It is disgusted by Love one another with a brotherly affection. Verse 10 here, this just comes in to kind of support more the idea of this genuine love. This is a familial kind of love. This is a love between siblings. This is a love that's tight. Right? This is not, this is not necessarily a love that, that, that comes and goes with the affections, right? Brothers are brothers forever. Right? Family is family forever. We love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So here's the, here's the thing. Oftentimes, oftentimes we desire honor for ourselves, do we not? Do you not desire for, like, like whenever I'm saying thank you, church, for those who were back there, um, don't you, I want you to say my name, right? Like, you might not list everybody's name, but please say my name. Uh, maybe not y'all, but if dad was back there cleaning up, dad would want me to say his name. <laughs> Amen now. <laughs> Right? Like, we have this natural, like, it's, it's sinful, like, I want to be lifted up, I want to be exalted. Genuine love does not seek its own, it does not seek self-exalting. What does it do instead? What does it, what does love do? What are we to do if we love one another genuinely? We are to outdo one another in showing honor. Right? Not be like, I'm going to show Dustin some honor because I'm going to be like, Dustin, man, I love the way you preach. But when you get up here and you're preaching, you better point back there at me and you better say, I love the way that you preach. Right? Like, it's not a, it's not a, it's not an honor that's like, you gotta, you gotta, you know, it's reciprocal, right? Like, I'm going to tell you and then you're right. Like, that's not the kind of honor that we have. We're not supposed to be giving out honor in hopes that honor is given in return. I want to stand here and I want to make every one of you look better than me in everything that I can do. That kind of honoring is what comes out of a love that's genuine, right? I want you to look better with, I want you to look better than me. Right? I want to lift you up. I want to show you honor. No, 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 you sit here. You sit here. You sit up front or you sit, you take the good seat. You take, you, you, right? Like, I want you first. I don't, I want to be a servant. I don't want to be served. I want to be a servant. And what do we do when we live like that? 
What do we do when we're the one trying to outdo the other in honor? Who do we honor most? The one who came not to be, not to be served, but to be a servant to us. Right? Like in this, all of this, we're being a reflection of the one who was first so that we could follow in his footsteps. So genuine love, it works to outdo. So you get up here and you say how good you like it. And I'm going to get up here and I'm going to say, I love Kips and I love Shane's and I love Kobe's. You preached awesome tonight, I'm sure, Kobe. You were at another place. Kobe loves Jesus so much. And Kobe preached earlier and then still made it for preaching tonight, man. <laughs> right? Like, well, I want to live, right? Like, what kind of, what kind of love do we have for one another? Do we have a genuine love? Do we have a love that seeks to honor others? Or do we have a, a love that that's self-seeking and selfish, right? Like, what kind of love do we have for one another? Do not be slothful in zeal, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. With a genuine love, we serve God. Right, and this is why last week I, I spoke in, in the source for which we use our gifts should not be one of obligation, not one of anything other than you love God and you desire to serve Him. And one of the ways that we serve God is in service to one another. So we are not slothful in that. We are not lazy in that. Right, church? Pray for me that as I prepare to preach to you, in preparation to use the gift that I feel God has given me, that I am not lazy or slothful in it. Pray for one another. Honor one another. Pray for one another. And you yourselves, I pray for you, that you are not lazy in whatever gifts that you've been given. Right? As we were talking about the gifts and the usage of gifts a couple of weeks back, I hurt if you are not using your gifts. Your brothers and sisters here hurt if you are not using your gifts. If you are not serving God, someone is taking the hit for that. Do not be lax, lazy, or slothful. Be fervent. Right? How many of us have grown weary in the work so we've become slothful in the work. How many of us, it's been a long road. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold up and pump the brakes right here. Take a little bit of a rest. And what are we called to do when we love one another genuinely? Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, let the fire be rekindled within you if it has grown damp. Be fervent. With a genuine love, you love God on fire for God. Your spirit burns for Him. And the natural outpouring of that is service to Him. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Where do we find our rejoicing? 
Right? As we work, as we serve, as fervently on fire, we go out, we come in, we work for God. Where do we rejoice? Where do you find your rejoicing, church? In what? In Christ, who is our what? Our only hope. Right? He is the first fruits of what we hope for. Of a life much better than the one that we live today. Rejoice. When you rejoice, let your rejoicing be not in the successes or failures, not in whether it goes right today or wrong. Let your rejoicing be in hope because as a believer you are grounded in hope. You are grounded in hope. Do you understand that? Do you see where your hope lies? Do we understand that our hope is not for what we do when we get up in the morning? It's for something so much greater. And because of this, because our hope is fixed and grounded somewhere other than this world in something greater, we can be patient in tribulation. Are you patient in tribulation? Right? Probably most of us, if we answer honestly, are going to answer what? What are we called to be? Is there an excuse for not being? Do you love God? Do you genuinely love God? Do you love one another? Do you have a concern for the lost? Do you think that the trials that you are going through now are empty and in vain? Or do you think the only wise God is in fact working all things together? So that in your patience, enduring, rejoicing in the hope that you have in front of you. The lost world could know Him. Your brothers and sisters who will struggle tomorrow could see Him in you. Do you love them? Patiently endure. It's not an option. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Do you, do you pray enough? Do you pray enough? Is there an excuse for that? Be constant in prayer. You, you know the prayers that we have here at this church, the needs that we have here at this church. Are you constant in prayer? Do you know what a genuine love would do? If, if your love is as genuine as you say, if it was your child going under the knife this Wednesday, would you not be constant in prayer for them? Why? Because you love them. Because you can't get it out of your head. 
Do you have a genuine love one for another? Can we love one another more? Be constant in your prayer. And this is not to beat you over the head. This is to call you into it. Church, be constant in prayer. Prayer is effective. It matters. It's important. You're not just wasting breath. You're not just wasting time. You are communicating on the behalf of someone who you genuinely love. Be constant. Be constant in prayer. Contribute, verse verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Do you, do you know what a genuine love does? Does a genuine love give or does it hold for itself? Right? Like, does, does a parent withhold from its child when it knows its child's in need? Not a good parent. Right? Not one who loves. And the excuse that that I, that I don't really have anything to contribute is not an excuse. L- let me tell you, uh, I, Gabrielle, Adrian's niece, um, is in Rwanda right now, and she is at a hospital there. Um, and there are people there in Rwanda that can't get out of the hospital unless someone pays their bill to get out. Right? There are people who are in the hospital over twenty bucks. Who's got twenty bucks, right? Right? It, it, don't 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 tell me that you have too little and you can't contribute to needs, right? Because twenty bucks here is like seven grand there, right? Like like I got the feeling that if our church wanted to, that we could send a whole hospital of people home. If we just open our eyes to it. If we would put some some legs to the genuine love that we say we have for the world. Right? Contribute to the needs of the saints. How often do we see brothers and sisters in need around us? And we'd rather have our comforts. We'd rather have our entertainments. We'd rather have our toys than see their needs met. Has it ever been the case that you've overlooked someone? That you've seen a need and and you've just looked the other way because you don't have time or you don't have the resources? What does God's Word say? Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You are not going to open the doors to your house and invite people in by accident. You know what you're going to do? You're going to seek. You're going to seek to be hospitable. You're going to seek to be welcoming. You're going to seek to be a people who care, whose love is genuine, and it pours out in real and practical ways. Right? How, how many of us seek to be hospitable? And how many of us could seek a little bit more? Do you know what a genuine love does? It seeks it out. It doesn't wait for the opportunity to come. It seeks it out. Right? 
bless those who persecute you. So we've we've as we kind of look at each of these things, the overarching idea, like I mentioned at the beginning, is this idea of, of giving yourself as a believer, giving yourself over. Right. Giving yourself over in service to God and service to one another, living in a way that is radically different than the selfish ambitions of the world. Right. Because the world comes and says, me, 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 me. And the gospel comes and says, honor others over yourself. Serve others. Be last. Who's first in the kingdom? The one who's last here. The one who's served here. Right. The gospel flips things on their head, which is why I say that if, if the way that you live your life, if the way that you show love to, to those around you looks so much like the world's view of this and you're, you're quite possibly doing it wrong. Right. We should be looking at the gospel. We should be looking at these things and we should be examining our lives and we should be asking ourselves, how do I line up with this? Where do I fall short in this? How do I live in a way that I open myself up to maybe be a little bit vulnerable to be taken advantage of? Right? This is the idea that we see embedded in this. Bless those who persecute you. What do you want to do to those who persecute you? Like, we're going we're gonna to get this thing straightened out. Right? Like, we're going to handle this. Like, it ain't going to happen like that again. I'm going to get my boys together. Like, we're going to meet up. We're going to sell this like, man, this this is war, right? Right? You ain't going to step on me like that. I'm going to take up arms against you. What What does God's Word say? Bless those who persecute you. Do you not know that you are in the position you are today because Christ Himself was one who lived this truth out? Hands spread wide on a cross. When He had the power and the means to crush us all, yet He blesses those who persecute Him. Should not his followers, should not those who are trying to show the same genuine love that he showed, be willing to bless those who persecute? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice, verse verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. And as I look at this, I find this to be strangely placed. Like this is one of those verses of Shane. As I, as I look at this and I read over it a couple of times, I'm like, I get, I get all this other stuff, right? Like, you know, like I get why you would have to tell me those things, Lord. And and, and then I come here and I see verse 15: Rejoice with those who rejoice. And I think to myself, like. Why drop that in there? Like, that just seems like a gimme. Like, is he just trying to boost my morale? Trying to make me feel good? Okay, I got one. I can rejoice with those who rejoice and whoo, weep with those who weep. Like, why is he saying this, right? Like, why is he saying this? As I'm trying to wrap my mind around this, 
as I'm trying to, to, uh, to get a, 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 a grasp on what it is that God's trying to tell us when he tells us the simple phrase of, of rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm, I'm trying to put together in my mind, like, what would be a, an example of this? Like, where does this fit in? Where does this fall in? And, and I wonder, has anyone ever found it difficult to rejoice when, when someone else is rejoicing? Okay, and we should rejo- we should rejoice when people are rejoicing, but I want to tell you that there are times that it ain't easy, right? And if you don't know it to be true, uh, then God bless you because your your life has gone better than quite many others, right? Um, and I asked Dustin if I could. Use him and, and, and his wife and his family as an example in this, right? Um, uh, an example of, of when we should re- rejoice with those who rejoice. And Dustin has uh, four beautiful little girls, every one of them a blessing from God. And I have one that I buried, right? And when I consider all that Adrian and I went through in that, um, I find that within me I am tested. Even the idea of pregnancy scares you when you've almost lost your wife because of it. Yet, do you you know what I should do when my brother is rejoicing? I rejoice with him, even even at times that he might hurt. Do you follow me? Do, do you do you do you see why sometimes we need to be reminded that when our brothers and sisters it's going well for them, that we need to rejoice in that, not let it plague our minds. Not let it be something that grows as a bitter seed within us. But we rejoice with them because all good things come from above. So for us to withhold in rejoicing would be sinful on our part. It would be sinful on our part. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep. With those who weep. Do you know where I'm going with this? Huh? How, how, how easy is it for us to see others weep and we don't, we don't understand the tears? Um, maybe we've never been through that particular situation. We don't know that particular hurt. Uh, so we find it hard to relate and what do we do when when we see tears what is what tends to be our first reaction and initial reaction our first reaction is not is not usually let me let me come and console our, our first reaction is i don't want to see i don't want to see it right like i want to i want to look away from that um you know it, i i don't want to be reminded that on this side of eternity, it gets dirty. It gets ugly. 
It, it's work. I don't, I don't, I, I like to keep my eyes away from the weeping because I can blind myself to the fact that this world is insufficient. So that I can keep on chasing after the things that I've been chasing after. Blinded to the fact that it's not sufficient. And there are many areas in life that we struggle with these things, right? Like, you, you see your friend get promoted, and maybe he gets promoted again and again, or maybe he starts a business and he's successful, and you've been in the same spot for 20 years, and they ain't giving you a raise tomorrow, right? How do I rejoice in that, is it a bad thing that my friend got a promotion? Yet, if you're on the other end of that coin, how easy is it for you to be blinded to the needs of others around you? Right? Right? I don't want to look and see my brother or sister struggling. I don't want to see them weeping because their kids need food. Because I like driving what I drive or living where I live. I like the lifestyle that I have and I don't want to look. I don't want to associate with that. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we weep with those who weep. We do this life Together, not apart, together. We do this life together. That's what it means to rejoice with one another and to weep with one another. As we become well acquainted with one another's rejoicing moments and grieving moments. We don't look the other way because we don't want it to kind of ruin our day to day. That's what a genuine love does. Do you, do you understand that? Do you see that? It takes genuine love to do that in us. Live in harmony. Verse 16, live in harmony one with another. I, I, I want you to notice the use of the word harmony here. Um, Sandra, you're a music lady. This works well with music. Could you give me a short little, what is harmony? What does it mean for something to be in harmony? Love it. Love it. So, different sounds working together to make a more beautiful sound. Not a guitarist trying to jam out as hard as he can, while a drummer trying to jam out as hard as he can, while a pianist trying to do her own thing. All of them individually, if you just listen, being like, oh, that's, that doesn't jam on the drums. And play on them keys, man. Like, but then come together and it sounds like, what? 
how in the world? Y'all are talented, but that ain't. Can it happen? Can you have talented individuals come together and make junk, junk music? You can. So there's a difference in individuality shining and the unity of it working in harmony. Right? So what are we supposed to be? Superstars. Right? Like, I want to be a superstar preacher shining out above the rest. Or we work together in harmony. Live in harmony one with another. Use your gifts. Not to stand out. Not to stand out. Because that would be self-seeking. That would be self-glorifying. Use your gifts. Because when we use our gifts together in harmony, what a beautiful thing it is. And the world sees that. The world sees that. A bunch of wannabe superstars. And then what they think to be the B team comes in and play together and run them up and down the field. Right? Let's work together. Let's live in harmony one with another. Don't be haughty. So what would what would throw a wrinkle in the harmony thing? Being haughty. Right? So what does he tell us? Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Don't think yourself too high to associate with anyone else. Right? That's the idea here. Never be wise in your own sight. What does that mean? Don't think that you know it all or that you are above being taught. Right? Always be teachable. Don't be the smarty pants. Think they always got to have the last word to say. Right? Because when you do like that, what are you trying to be? You're wanting to be the superstar, not wanting to work together in harmony. So don't be too wise. And I mean, be wise. I want all of you to be wise. Just don't be too wise. Right? Don't think that you know it all because you do not. Verse 17 Repay no one evil for evil, but, get, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And here we see again this idea that starts coming out in blessing those who persecute you, and here not repaying uh, evil, um, not repaying evil with evil, but but uh, kind of this idea of overcoming evil with good. We 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 can only do this. We can only do this consistently and long-term if we trust in the fact that God makes the ends tie up quite nicely, right? So that when we got wronged, we're not looking for God to do His thing there. We're patient, hoping that, right, our kindness, as, as kindness led to our salvation, that our kindness would lead to another's salvation, right? Knowing that. There will be nothing that slips by the eye and mind of God. Right? And that should be, that should be absolutely sobering to us in, in every possible way. Um, and, and in that, um, we live in all that we do giving thought to the way that we look. Which is a strange thing to hear. Because oftentimes you'll be told, don't care about what anyone thinks of you. And in one sense, don't care about what anyone thinks of you. In another sense, let what they know of you, let what they know of you be true and sound. And let what they know of you be that you have been with Christ. Right? 
Because when you live, they may say one thing about you. Right? Like you are going to be talked badly about if you are living a genuine Christian life. In that sense, don't concern yourself with what they say. But do concern yourself with what they know to be true. Right? When they see you and they see the way you stepped away from that particular conversation or that particular situation or the way that you plugged in and and Christ was glorified in that particular thing, no matter what they say about you, what they know about you in that should concern you, right? Who we really are in front of people, whether it be here at church or whether it be out in the world, should concern us. Because who they see in us should be who we claim. Who they see in us should be Christ, the one who's redeemed us. That's why we're living this life here. So so that Christ's name can be magnified. So it should, in a very real way, concern us what they think about us. right? And when I say what they think about us, I mean what they know to be true about us. Right? Y'all, y'all get that? Does that that make that makes sense there? All right. At verse eighteen. And and if it is possible, and know that it is not always going to be possible. But if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Right. Do what you can do. Put yourself out there. Be open to being vulnerable. Be open to being taken advantage of. Be open to being the one who doesn't get the last word. Why? Why? In all of this, church, in all of this, we are living with a genuine love for God and for others so that they might see the same Savior that we have seen and that has drawn us to Himself. So if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19, and this is kind of that idea here kind of coming to fruition this idea that you can do all of this you can put yourself out there because ultimately you know that God is and always just and that sin is punished and that's so sobering to us right it's so sobering to us because we know that those who would offend Because of the stand that we take, if not affected by the stand that we take together for Christ, then wrath comes upon them. Right? Vengeance is His. We can hold back. Right? We we do not have to have ours. We do not have to get back. We do not have to repay. We hope. We hope that they find in the cross what we have found in the cross. So we're patient in trials, tribulations. We're patient in persecution. And we know, we know, because there are wrongs. There are wrongs that you cannot simply overlook. There are wrongs so evil that I will not even speak them here. And I can tell you without a doubt that they will not go unseen. They will not go unpunished. And though there is a part of me, knowing the evil that goes on in this world, that says, Lord, let the hammer fall. I know that it could have just as easily fallen on me. 
so I can live like this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what do we do? If he is thirsty, what do we do? For by doing, or for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And, and, and I cannot find, and I've heard it said in the past, I cannot find a, a single place where, 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 uh, these coals or any coals being placed over the head of someone is anything like shame. Where, where you find coals, you find wrath, right? Where you find coals, you find wrath. Um, so these coals being uh, placed upon this person's head, um, we, we know that God accounts for all wrongs. Um, we are His children. He loves His children dearly. We've been called with a genuine love to love others as He loves. In this, some will find repentance and turn as we have found repentance and have turned. Those who do not will face the eternal wrath of God. In this, church... This should wake us up to the importance of us living our lives as what we claim to be. Do you hear me? Not going out there and hiding out, not going into the world and taking cover. There are those who stand on the precipice of hell and your lives will make the difference. They will make the difference. Because of your lives lived faithfully for Christ, there will be those who know Christ. That is a beautiful thing. This is why we're called for this walk that we live to be lived genuinely. Friends, don't be overcome by evil. Don't be overcome by evil, verse 21, but overcome evil with good. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you have done. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your church. I thank you for all that you have done and all that you continue to do i pray that your holy spirit would move in our hearts that you would stir us lead us to repentance in those areas that we need repentance lead us to encouragement in those areas that we need encouraging lord let us be uh, a body of believers who works who lives in harmony with one another using our gifts for your glory for the ongoing of your kingdom for your name's sake that your son might be lifted high here in this place in cordova in jasper in birmingham and in Alabama, Lord, in the United States, to the ends of the earth. Lord, things that we have not seen, things that we will not know of until we are told of them in glory. Lord, do your thing. I thank you for who you are. 
I thank you that you are faithful even when 